So I got a lot to cover today, so we're going to have to listen quick, all right? I'm going to do my best not to talk too fast. I hear I have done that every once in a while. Anyone attested that? Every once in a while, yes. Okay. So <laughs> I'll do my best to slow down today so that we can follow. But we're going to be in the book of Joshua. We're going to be in chapter number four. So last week we were in verses one through three. Today we're going to be in verses four and Five. I intended a few more verses, but this is where God stopped us, so this is where we're going to be. And what we did last week, just to give us a little bit of review, of review what they've happened now is that the Israelites have now arrived. They are, they are in Canaan. So the first thing we noticed last week was their arrival. And we saw that them, all of them as a whole, had crossed over the Jordan. They had crossed over actually on a dry riverbed. So each one had their own individual experience of seeing the miraculous power of God doing something. And we understood the fact that here they were. One moment looking at a raging, overflowing river, the next moment they are literally walking across on dry ground. And we saw the incredible aspect of that they would have their own story of what it was that they saw. And the fact that we correlated and related it to us. As God did a miraculous work in our life, we all have our own personal experience, our own testimony. Everyone is going to be different. Last night uh, we were at a dinner and people were just sort of talking and sharing their testimonies. And it's a beautiful thing when we hear the individual story of how God reached out and touched each one of us. Our circumstances are individual. So we noticed that first of all with them. The second thing we noticed was the mediator, God's mediator. God's mediator for them was Joshua. Joshua was their intermediary. What his job was is what would happen was God would speak to him and then he would turn around and he would relay God's message to the people so they could understand it. For them it was Joshua. For you and I it's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's our mediator. We saw that in the fact that he was the one that restored us back to God through his death, burial, and resurrection. He was the one that allowed us to become the sons of God through the relationship we have in Christ. And the other thing was he did was he actually was the intermediary in the fact of when God speaks through them to Joshua, through Joshua to them, when God speaks to us, guess how he speaks to us? Through his word, right? And what does John 1 tell us about the word? It says the word was made flesh, right? It says when the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Pointing to us and picturing to us that as Jesus revealed in Joshua, guess what? The word of God is also a picture of Christ speaking to our hearts. Then we saw the servants of God. The servants of God. And what was cool about this? We saw the 12 men. They're going to be the subject of our message today. We're going to be talking about those 12 guys. But we saw that they were called and commissioned to do a job. God wanted them to make a memorial unto the great work that he had done. He said, look, we're going to stack some stones up. These 12 stones are going to be a representation, a landmark for the people to see. But what we talked about last week was the importance about these men was their character. It wasn't just how they necessarily started or even the way they were doing what they were doing. But what was most important was how they would finish. And we saw that one of them would not finish well. And we challenged ourselves to, well, how are we going to finish? Then the last thing we looked at was the landmark. The landmark. What was, that, what was happening here? These 12 stones, these things were going to have an impact on not only this generation of people, but those to come. People were going to look at this as a memorial of God's faithfulness, of God's power, of God's presence in their lives. And we talked about the importance of us establishing landmarks in our lives. Things we can look back on and go, Here's something that reminds me of who God is, what he did in my life. Maybe it's a, a moment in time. Perhaps it's our, like we talked about, maybe it's even our Bible. Something we hold on to and go, you know what? This is my reminder. When challenges come, I'm going to fall back on this landmark. So what happens now today, what's happened is Jesus or Joshua has received the instructions, right? The mediator then turns to these 12 men and he's going to relay to them their instructions. So that's what we're going to be doing today in our message, which is called Worthy of the Call with a question mark. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much 
for today. God, I do pray that you'll do a work in our hearts. Uh, Lord, as Eric uh, spoke earlier, uh, that we would just leave our cares and concerns and all the things that weigh upon our minds and all the distractions that will come. Lord, help us to set those things aside, that our hearts and our minds would be focused upon what it is you have for us. Lord, I know you have spoken to me throughout the week. Lord, you have spoken clearly to me. And uh, my desire today is just simply to relay what it is you have shared with me. Lord, help it to be all grounded in the Spirit, Lord, that our hearts and our minds would receive what it is that we individually need for the walk that is ahead of us, Lord, that we might honor you with our lives. So thank you for today. I pray that you'll help me just to disappear. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Joshua chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. It says here, Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel out of every tribe a man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of the Jordan, and take ye up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. So the first thing we see here, Joshua's delivering his instructions. Verses 4 and 5 tell us that it's speaking specifically to these twelve men. Remember, they were chosen. For a specific job. They were to build the memorial. These men are being selected by God. And what happens, we notice the first thing in this instruction, the first part of this, we notice is their calling. Notice this. It says, then Joshua called the twelve men. And we know from biblical insight, when we look back in chapter 3, verse number 12, and then we look at the first, first three verses of this chapter, we realize that this is not Joshua's idea. Joshua didn't decide, well, I'm just going to pick 12 guys and send them out. God told him that this was what, was what he was supposed to do. So this is not Joshua's plan. This is God's plan. We also see that there was a specific number in mind. God said, you're going to select 12 men. Also, we see they were given a specific job. So they were called, they were specifically selected, and they were given a specific job. Their job would be to make an indelible mark on the people of Israel. The people are going to say, you know what? This is something we're going to hold on to. Remember, they're building a landmark. This is to memorialize the hand of God, the miraculous power of the Lord. So we could say that literally these men were selected by the hand of God. This was God's will that they would be selected. So we could say they have a divine calling, right? Can we all agree to that? It's a divine calling. So here, now in Scripture, there are lots and lots of people that have divine callings, many of them. Think back to Josh, to Genesis chapter number 6. There's a guy named Noah, right? Noah received a call. Hey, guess what you're going to do? You're going to build an ark. What's an ark? An ark is a gigantic boat. What in the world? How do I do that? Let me give you the instructions. I'm going to spread everything for you. Don't worry. It's going to rain. What's rain? I've never seen rain before. Don't worry. It's coming. Okay, well, you know what? I'm just going to trust you, and I'm just going to do it. So we see a specific man called to a specific job. Then we think about Abraham. Abraham, who was Abram, what happened was with, in Genesis chapter 12, what happened? God called Abraham specifically and said, hey, you know what? You're going to be the seed of many nations. It's all going to come through you. I'm going to take you to the promised land. I'm going to provide for you. Then we think about Moses. Remember back in Exodus chapter 3? The burning bush? Mm-hmm. Moses, Moses, oh, what in the world? <laughs> Moses wasn't even, didn't even want to hear it necessarily. He was actually reluctant to hear it. But we see a specific man given a specific job. You will deliver my people. We think about Joshua. Back in Numbers 27, what happened was God told Moses that Joshua was going to be his replacement. You're not going to go into the promised land, but Joshua will. A specific man for a specific job. David, 1 Samuel 17, what happens there? David is selected as a young boy. He says, you know what, here's a specific man for a specific job. He will be king. Think about the disciples. Specific men, specifically chosen for a specific job. And we think that and we go, wow. I always think about the Apostle Paul. Man, called out by name on the road to Damascus. 
and given a specific job. You shall be the apostle to the Gentiles. That's your job, Paul. So we hear that and we go, okay, great. Now, does everybody who hears from God and receives a calling, do they all respond the same way? Do they all just do what God asks? No, they don't. And there's one in particular that we think about. Jonah, yes. Good old Jonah. Why is he famous? For being disobedient, right? Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. And we all kind of know the story, what happens here specifically, a specific man given a specific job. He says, you're to go to Nineveh. And he's like, okay, I'm going to Tarshish. Nineveh is this way, Tarshish is this way. He goes the exact opposite direction. He's like, look, I hate the Ninevites. I hope they get destroyed. I would love to see that place wiped out. You know what? They don't deserve to hear about God's good news. Destroy them, Lord. I'm going this way. And then there's a storm comes and a fish involved and all kinds of craziness, right? So what we find is he struggles. He goes through all that he goes through because of disobedience. He could have responded to God's call. He could have said, hey, all right, Lord, if that's where you want to go, I don't like them, but you know what? I'll do what you want. And he would have to experience the blessing of obedience, but no, he chose to, to rebel. He went his own way. And what happened? As God's calling him, he's running away from the call, and God brought suffering upon him. And what we have to understand about the way that God allows things like that to happen, we call it chastening, the chastening of the Lord. When we're rebelling against God, when God's trying to call us and we are not responding, God brings things into our life, allows things to come to wake us up. Hebrews 12, verse 10 says this. It says, for they, okay, if you want to read this reference, go to Hebrews chapter 12. It actually starts in verse number 6, and you go from verse to 6 all the way to verse 11. But we're just going to have 10 and 11 today. He says, for they, and this is speaking of our earthly fathers, for they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. Okay? This is someone who is angry and is going to punish their child because they have disrespected them. You will honor me. Do you understand? Is it about the child learning a lesson or is it about the parent vindicating themselves? It's about them vindicating themselves. And this is because of our flesh. And then he he changes here. He says, so they for their pleasure, and this is, he's talking about God. He says, but he for our profit. God does bring things into our life that we might be partakers of his holiness. God says, look, my desire, the reason why I'm going to be on your case, the reason why I'm going to let these things come is because guess what? I'm trying to draw you to holiness. I'm trying to get you out of yourself. Verse number 11 says this, now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. Nobody enjoys it. It's not fun. The weight of God resting on your shoulders, feeling that, it says, but grievous. It's difficult. Nevertheless, even after we go through it, nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So we see holiness and righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Notice the word exercised thereby. <laughs> You've been exercised through your punishment. Oh, man. But what happens when exercise, we develop, we grow from it, we learn, right? And what happens is God's desire is always to teach. God's job is always to improve upon us. It's a matter of shaping us and teaching us how to be godly. It says that we might be partakers of holiness, right? And then it says that it might yield it the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So when God calls, the one who's receiving the call has a choice. They can either accept the call and experience the blessings of it, or they can reject the call. Right? God is working in people's lives, and people will choose to either respond one of those two ways. Now, last week when we were at the Jordan River with those 12, and we talked about the character of those men, and we talked about the tribe of Dan, which would long-term be a tribe that would rebel against God, understand, in this moment, we know that these men, they're going to, they're going to do what God calls them to do. But what I can tell you is this. 
though we may not understand necessarily the challenges that, that they would have faced, you and I, even though this life is full of challenges, God is calling people in this day and age to do things for him. He is. Even now. Now, it may be we're called to missions. Maybe God's calling you to become a missionary, and you're going to go to a foreign part of the world, and you're going to sell all your possessions, and that's going to be your life. Maybe you're being called to give to missions. Maybe it's full-time ministry. You feel like, you know what? God's calling you. That's what happened to me. I got saved, and it's like, look, I, I was like, I didn't know. I never heard of, I didn't know what preaching was. I didn't know anything about anything. So all I knew was my heart had changed, and I wanted to do the things of God. And as God drew me, I just surrendered. I said, well, I said, Lord, whatever I can do, Amen. I'll pick up the trash. I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever you need me to do. I want to do it because this is just where my heart is. And what happens is God works in our hearts and he calls us to things. We feel that draw of the Lord. You know, some of us, it may be discipleship. We go, man, you know, I'd love to be involved in discipleship. Maybe I want to be discipled or maybe I want to be a discipler. The beautiful things, man, that's an opportunity to invest in people's lives. It's a beautiful thing, a calling. It may be pastoring. Who knows? That wasn't what I planned, but that's what God plans. So but if we respond to the call, God will bless us for our obedience. But if we reject the call, God will, God will chasten us. But can I tell you this? If it's none of those specific things that you're being called to, can I tell you that we're all being called to one thing? Yeah. Which is to bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Our life is supposed to bring glory to God. We're supposed to let this world know who he is. When people look at us, they should see a reflection of him. Right In John 17, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, and as he's praying, I want you to understand, in this prayer, Jesus is not only talking about the disciples that he's there with, he's going to be talking about you and I. Listen to this in John 17, verses 18 through 26. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, that they they also might be sanctified through the truth. We're sanctified through the truth. We're set apart from the world by the truth of the word of God. Neither pray I for these alone. He says, look, I'm not just praying for the disciples that are with me. But for them also which shall believe on me through their word. He's looking into time. Into time. Into future. Sorry, that didn't make any sense. He's looking into the future. And as he's doing it, guess what? He's seeing us. And he's saying, look, so what I'm doing is I'm praying for not only the ones that are here with me now, but I'm praying for those that will come. What am I praying for them? That they all may be one, unified around the word of God, unified in the spirit. As thou, it says, thou father art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us. That, what is the purpose? That the world may believe that thou hast sent me. That they will understand that I am the Messiah, that I am the Christ, that their life would display that truth. So the purpose, plan, and calling of our lives is to give glory to God. That's, that's it, right? That's the reason why we're on the planet, to point the lost world to their need of a Savior. Yeah. Now, individually, the way that plays out for us individually will be different. We all have the same end goal that God has for us, but how that will take place. Some of us, it may be through adversity, some of us, it may be through blessing. It may be through calling. It might be through tragedy. Who knows what it is? But in each instance, what happens is an opportunity for us to give glory to the Lord. And if that's the calling, right, God's calling us to that. The question we have to ask ourselves is, how are we doing? Is my life giving God glory the way I'm living right now? If this world is to know the truth of Jesus Christ, it will be because we answer the call, right? Then the second thing we notice here about the instructions to the 12 is their preparation. 
their preparation. And I think it's very interesting. It says, whom he had prepared of the children of Israel out of every tribe of man. Notice the tense of the word, prepared. It wasn't going to prepare. They are prepared, meaning that these men are already ready to take on this leadership role. Joshua has carefully chosen them. Recognize the fact that we know that these men, Joshua's watched them grow up. Because out of the 603,550 men who left Egypt over the age of 20 that would go off into the wilderness, two of them survived, Joshua and Caleb, meaning that these men are men that they watch grow up. They know their character. They understand who they are. So here they are. These men are being, going to be chose, chosen to memorialize God. But not only are they going to memorialize God through the monument they're going to build, but they're also representing their individual families, their, their people group, right? So they're being representatives. And so it's incredibly important as leadership is developed that these traits, these, these parts, uh, these character traits are a part of this person. And this is true not only where Josh was functioning, but also in the leadership, like leadership in the church, right? As we establish leadership in the church, it's important that we understand that a leader doesn't gain authority or take a position of authority until they've already been prepared to do so. There are people that want to be in positions of, look at me, Da, 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 da. Listen, the whole thing is it comes down to this. It comes down to worthiness, right? Worthiness. We look here, the spiritual development that must be done before we can be used. And Paul describes this. Listen, so this is going to give, we're going to give you that. This is the, the breakdown for a pastor. The Bible calls it a bishop. So Paul's going to give the attributes that need to be in place, not those that will be given to them once they're established as a pastor. These are the traits they need to already have. 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. This is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre. Filthy lucre means worldly possessions, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity, meaning that he knows how to lead his family. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, meaning he can't just come in having no experience. Lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of them which are without. Those that are outside, those he has a testimony that is of God. Lest he fall under approach and the snare of the devil. So what we see here is the preparation for these men is already complete before they're called to do the job, right? Those that desire being in leadership, guess what? They have to develop the traits of a leader, before they'll ever be given any authority. This is key. We don't become a leader because we want to be. We go because God develops us and God puts us in a position that we can be used. So we see these 12 men. That's where they're coming from, right? These guys have been prepared. They're ready. And then here, what we're going to see is the task, the task that they're going to be given. Number three, it says here, the 12 are gathered in front of Joshua, basically, waiting on their instructions. And these instructions are going to have two dynamics, okay? The two dynamics of their instructions they receive are this. First of all, their worthiness. Verse 5 says this, And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God in the midst of Jordan. So notice the wording here. You're going to go before the ark of the Lord your God. These men are to come before God. They're literally represented in the ark. They're coming before the Lord. What this tells us is that their lives... Their testimonies reveal that they are worthy of the task at hand. God can use them. Paul addressing, and Paul is going to address as he's talking to the Thessalonican believers or the, the 
Thessalonican, Thessalonica, I don't know how you would say them. Anyway, the Thessalonicans, as he's going to that city, what happened is he had been there and he had worked with the people. He had developed and trained and developed the church. And what he's doing is he's writing back to them to encourage them, hey, listen, share the gospel, live a life that brings glory to God. This is what he challenges them in 1 Thessalonians 2.12. He says, that ye would walk worthy of God, who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. He's called them unto glory. And he says that you would walk worthy of God. And see, this is the key. Because worthiness, there's a qualifier for that, right? Because when you and I determine in our own hearts that we're worthy, (laughs) that is a glaring indicator that we are not worthy, right? (laughs) There's the problem. Because we do not determine our worthiness. It doesn't come from us. We get that from the Lord. The Lord's the the one that makes the call. He's the one that makes the determination. Because what happens if we judge ourselves, because of our pride, we always see ourselves in a better light. We justify our bad actions. We always think of reasons why it was okay. So if we take the scales, we're like, yeah, I'm pretty good. right? We put our hand on the scale. We weigh the scale in our favor. So God's going, "Uh -uh -uh uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. I determine that. Ultimately, God will determine our worth. I want you to listen to this. There's a scripture example in Luke chapter number 7. What's happened here is there's going to be a centurion, okay? This Roman centurion is calling out and asking for help as he, as he sends men to, to meet Jesus. Listen to Luke 7, verse 6, 6 through 10. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was now far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying unto him, Lord, trouble not thyself. Listen to this wording. For I am not worthy that thou shouldest enter under my roof. Wherefore, neither thought I myself worthy to come unto thee but say in a word and my servant shall be healed for I also am a man of set under authority having under me soldiers and I say unto one go and he goeth and to another come and he cometh and my servant do this and he doeth it when Jesus heard these things he marveled at him and turned about turned about and said unto the people that followed him I say unto you I have not found so great faith no not in Israel and he says and then it says and they that were that that were sent returning to the house found the servant whole and and had been sick, that had been sick. So God does a miraculous work on behalf of this man. But we'll notice, what do we see in him? We see great faith, no doubt about it. But what else do we see? Great humility, right? He says, I am not worthy. And we know how God responds to humility, right? First Peter 5, verses 5 through 6. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility, Clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud, resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble, your, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. God will put you in that leadership role if that's the desire of your heart, and you're working towards God in His timing, yes. not in ours. And if we ever want to wonder, if we ever go, "Gosh, you know what? Am I walking worthy? I wonder where I'm at right now. Am I worthy?" You want to know? How do you check? Ask the people in your life if they would describe you as this, clothed in humility. Is that what comes to mind when they think of us? If it's not, it doesn't sound like we're quite where we need to be. These 12, well, guess what? They certainly would have been because God doesn't change requirements over time. His requirements are the same. These men would have been humble. They would have been submissive, not only to God, but also to Joshua. They are listening and following their leader. Now, if we're truly going to be used by God to answer his call, guess what? We have to be submitted. We have to be submitted to the leadership in our lives. Kids, 
children, teenagers, guess what? (laughs) If you are telling yourself, man, I want God to do something great in my life. I want God to work in my life. I want God to, to do something miraculous. And yet we are not in submission to our parents. It ain't going to happen. Right. You're fooling yourself. Because God's requirement, listen, in 1 Peter 5, verses 5 and 6, remember what it said right there. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Not only your parents, but people that are older than you. You're supposed to respect them. You're supposed to honor them. So, yea, of all you, is be subject one to another, be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. We think we have all the answers when we're young. We want to argue and, you know, hey, you might be able to work an iPhone better than I can, but guess what? I got some knowledge that you don't have, right? <laughs> I might have problems with Google and rebooting my computer and all that stuff, yes. But when it comes to life, guess what? Your parents know more than you do. When it comes to your spiritual walk, listen and grow and let them speak into your life. The fifth commandment, remember what that one was? Honor thy father and thy mother. Honor them. Don't be irreverent to them. Don't be rude to them. Honor them that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy, Lord, Lord thy God giveth to thee. And I know what happens is as parents, we're going, man, hope they're listening to this because this is some good stuff. Preacher, <laughs> preacher, there have been a lot of things I've remembered over the last few months, but this one is killing and you're knocking it out of the park. And not only are we listening to it today, but honey, when we get home, we're going to listen to this message again, just so you know. Kids pay attention, right? That's what we're thinking because it is absolutely crucial for godliness, Amen. submission, Right? And humility. Those are absolutely key. Those are things we want our kids to know. We want to see them grow up in a way that is godly. But remember, how do we teach? Through what we tell them or how we live? Ah, here's the pinch. Bummer. Because guess what? We have to be in subject to the authorities in our life as well. Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 24. Paul writes this. Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as it is fit in the Lord. And I know women go, oh, my word, that is so archaic. That is crazy stuff. If you understand what God's saying, okay, understand God gave man a mission. He says you are to go and replenish the earth. That is your mission. You can't do it by yourself. You can't just split like an atom and do whatever however they think. Hey, I don't know. I don't know science stuff, <laughs> however it works. But you need someone there to help you. So I'm going to give you a wife. So here's your mission. And you know what her job is? To be in submission. To support your mission. She, you cannot do it on your own. and She can't do it on her own. You work together. It's about a unity where the two come as one. It's not about somebody kowtowing and one person giving up and the other person ruling over them. No. But it should not be a power struggle. God established this system and said, look, wives, guess what? Your job is to follow your husband. Follow him as he follows Christ. There are women in this house that, you know what? Your husband's not following the Lord. You go in that situation, guess what you do? You keep your eyes on Christ, but you still honor and respect your husband. Because you know what? His desperate desire in his heart is to be respected. He goes to his work and he does a job and he wants to be recognized. He wants to get a plaque. He wants to get a smack on the back. He wants to see something. And if he doesn't get respect at home and he doesn't get respect at his job, guess what? I'm going to have the coolest car in the neighborhood. I'm going to have something that people are going to give me respect for because I desperately need it. And if a wife will give, her what she, give him what he needs, guess what he will do? He'll become that man that you want him to become. But you've got to help him. Remember, you're in submission. You're trying to help him. Amen. Amen. And then husbands, love your wives. Simple as that. Husbands, love your wives. And Nick Spike's part, and be not bitter against them. You know what he's telling them? Love your wife unconditionally. There's no strings attached. Because you're supposed to model the Lord. 
Because how does God see us? Does he love us because we're worthy? No. None of us are worthy. He gives unconditional love. Listen to the next one. Kids, I'm sorry, I had to hit you again. Children, obey your parents in all things. Not some things, all things. For this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, okay, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. How many of us know men who grew up in households where they were not treated as they should have been, and they grew up discouraged and angry, and they want to fight the world, and they don't know why? They're continually frustrated. They're continually dissatisfied. They're continually on edge because you know what? They were discouraged as a child. As a parent, we're not there to punish our children for our sake. Hebrews 12.10, for they, for a few days, chasing us after their own pleasure. As a kid who grew up in a really hard home, It's hard to be on the receiving end of someone receiving pleasure from punishing. We punish our children to help them to grow. We're supposed to model the Lord. He says he does it for our profit, not to fulfill our sense of justice and vindication. That's not what it's about. Servants, notice this pecs part. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. You and I would say it this way. Employee, employee, obey in all things your boss, according to the flesh, not with eye service, right? As men pleasers, you're not doing it just so that people go, yeah, yeah, whatever. But behind their back, you're running them down and, and, and tearing them apart. He says, but in singleness of heart, fearing God, the reason why you do the best job that you can, the reason why you honor your boss, the reason why you do these things is because guess what? God receives glory. We're not to undermine our boss because he doesn't treat us right. We're supposed to have mission-minded hearts. Some people, what do they say? Hurting people hurt people. Sometimes people are just nasty and mean. Guess what? Their life stinks. They need the Lord, man. And you go, well, I don't deserve this. Well, hey, guess what? The Lord didn't deserve what he got. We're going to have lots of things happen in life that we do not deserve. It's how we deal with it. How do we handle it? It's not about going home and complaining to our spouse about how our job sucks and we hate it. And we wish our boss was, would get fired. Because listen, right? Remember, we're always teaching. You have kids in the home. What lesson are they learning? To honor authority? Nope. Rebel. Rebel. Remember, what we teach, what they see, what they apply will be what we do. What if we changed our heart at our job? And instead of having a spirit of, of resentment and frustration, what if we had a spirit of thanks? Because we said, you know what? Hey, I may not like my job, but it is what God's using to fulfill the needs of my home. Right. I have food. I have water. I have gas to drive my car. I, it's a tough place to go. And you know what? It's, it's a little rough. And you know what? My, my, the employees I work around, they're, they're frustrating. But hey, God's using this in my life. And instead of resenting the time there, what if we changed our perspective? What if we shifted the way we thought? And we go, you know what? Wow. Why is everybody so unhappy? Well, Yeah. Imagine that. Maybe, maybe this, as opposed to being a place that I have to resent and be frustrated by, what if God placed me in a rich field of souls that are in desperate need of hope? Wow, look at them. And what if I were to shine as a light in the midst of the darkness of this place? What if I stood out and there was something different about me and people would approach me and say, what is it about your life? And all of a sudden, God gave me a, an opportunity for that conversation of my life to speak into their life. And all of a sudden, as opposed to seeing it as a place where I'm stuck in, I go, wow, I'm blessed to be in the midst of this situation because God could use me. 
It's perspective, right? But it's understand, we honor the Lord through honoring those that have authority over us. And see, this is true, not only, and uh, and this continues, listen to what he says here. And, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. Remember, we're doing this for God. Knowing that of the Lord, ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. So why do we submit to the authority in our lives? Because when we humbly submit to them, we're submitting to the ultimate authority, which is God. Because God allows authorities to be placed in our life. And remember, and whatsoever you do, it said, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. So when I'm doing the best job I can, and I'm honoring my employer, I am in fact honoring God because ultimately he's the one that I'm serving, not my boss. Right? Because it says, for ye serve the Lord Christ. And so not only is this true in our personal lives and in our secular lives, but guess what? It's true in our spiritual lives as well. Listen to this, Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they, as they must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Right? And so we look at this and we go, wow, man. Hey, I have a pastor just like you have a pastor. And I am blessed to have someone who's a spiritual leader in my life, someone that I can turn to. Someone that I can ask questions to. Someone that I know who will pray for me. I'm not only thankful for the role that he plays in my life, but also the fact that he's pouring into my life. Amen. And he has somebody who truly desires for my life to be more like Christ. Mm-hmm. And so it's with the spirit of thanks, right, that I look at him in my life. And I go, you know what? Is he endeavors to follow the Lord? Is he perfect? No. Will he make mistakes? Absolutely. But hey, I endeavor to, to honor him as he endeavors to follow the Lord. And since I'm your pastor, I'm going to ask y'all to extend me some grace <laughs> because I know who I am and I know how flawed I am, right? And it's that understanding, understand, I'm asking you to say, look, you know what? You going home and being frustrated, if I do let you down, because I will eventually just in some way, shape, or I probably already have, but you going home and complaining to your spouse or talking bad about me in the car with your kids listening, how in the world can that help your spiritual walk? And how can it help me to help you? This is a team, man. We're in this together. God placed an authority structure in our lives to teach us how to submit to his ultimate authority. And so, as we strive to be deemed worthy, that's our desire. Children, teens, adults, whoever we are, right? As we're striving to do that, we have to ask ourselves, do we meet the qualifications that God requires? Am I humble and am I submissive? When I look through my life, am I humble and am I submissive? James 4, verses 6, 7, and 10. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. And what does it say? He shall lift you up. Amen. Imagine that. We see God saying, you know what? My requirement is submission and humility. And we know that these 12 men at this point in time, guess what? That's who they are. They are ready to receive their instructions. And we see the last dynamic of their instruction, which is, or their, of their task, which is the weight, the weight of it. Verse 5 says this, And take ye up every man of you a stone and upon his shoulder, according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. What's interesting is not only the fact that we know that these men are going to carry the stones, okay? They're going to carry the physical weight on behalf of their people, but also the fact that these men, what we also understand is the fact that they're the ones 
they're going to be selecting the stone. Go ye and pick up a stone. So they're supposed to go into the river and they're supposed to select a stone. Can you imagine, recognize the fact that there's a little bit of pressure to this? Because this isn't just some random rock. You're not going to get a stone to hold a door open. You're going, well, okay. This stone was chosen for a very, very specific landmark. Not only for now, but listen to this in Joshua 4, 7. It says this, and these stones, the ones you guys are going to go pick up, shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever. Forever. I don't know about you guys. I have a hard enough time going to Walmart and picking a good watermelon out of the bin. You know what I'm saying? You're like, that's got a big brown spot. How does it smell? I don't know. Is it supposed to smell? I don't know. I'm I'm just doing my best because I want to get a go. You want to go home and say, this is terrible. Right? And I feel pressure by that. I know it's silly, but I do. (laughs) Imagine this pressure. Goodness gracious. This is a memorial forever for everybody. So you're going out picking your stones. You know, you don't want to be not too big, not too small, not too flat, not too round. I don't know. I'm going to get just the right rock. And on top of that, not only are they making the selection, but guess what? They're under the watchful eye. Guess who's watching? Joshua. Guess who all the people are standing on the border? Like they're all on the shoreline going, what are they on? Well, is that the one he's going for? Oh, God, that's a bad choice. Right? <laughs> and then God's watching them. So here they are, man. We know they're going before the Lord. So there's the weight of responsibility of just making the selection. Remember, this is the landmark. This is the landmark in Canaan where they will go back to time and time and time and time again. So here we see the psychological weight of it in the form of their responsibility, but there's also the physical weight that they would need to carry because they're going to bear the stone. The Bible tells us they're going to bear it on their shoulder. What we know from just studying Scripture I think there's over 66 some different references talking about the shoulder. What you find out about the shoulder is the shoulder is where the burdens are born. Okay? So here they're going to bear a burden. Now, not only as a representative of God, but also representative of their own people. In verse 5 it said this, Take ye up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. So not only have the twelve got the psychological burden of selecting the stone, but now they've got the responsibility on behalf of their family. And this decision, everything, all that they're doing is all about honoring God and honoring their family. And so when you and I, as God is calling us to honor God, to fulfill his will, to, to walk by faith, to trust in him through adversity, right? All of these things give God glory. As we're doing that, well, as the leaders of our home, these guys are the representatives of their families. That's what we have to do. We take the responsibility, whether it's as a dad If you're a single mom, guess what? It's your role. You are that individual. And you're going to make the choices. You're going to select how your family will honor the Lord. And not only were they they tasked with choosing it, but they had the responsibility of bearing the weight of it. Okay? And sometimes that's hard. Sometimes the weight of carrying your family can be really, really, really tough. But understand, not only were they to carry it, they were to carry it all the way back to their home. Listen, in Joshua 4, 3, it says, Ye shall carry them over with you and leave them in the lodging place where ye shall lodge this night. So they couldn't just walk out and point to a rock and say, Hey, somebody grab that one. No. They selected it. They picked it up. They carried it. And they carried it all the way back. So if it was to be complete, if this monument was to be completed, not only would they answer the call that was upon their hearts, but they would respond and they would be diligent to follow it through to completion. And as we'll soon see, these 12 guys, guess what? They've got character, they've got strength, 
and they have endurance. Not only to honor the Lord and faithfully represent their families in this situation, but guess what? These 12, well, they responded to God's call. They answered because God had prepared them. Joshua had prepared them for the task of honoring his name. And in order to do so, God found them worthy to bear the weight. Now, with all that knowledge, how about us? How are we doing? In what these men are called to do? If we were called to do something similar, which we are, how are we doing? See, the God, God calls us to honor him and leave a landmark of his glory for generations to come. Do we meet the qualifications? Are we submitted to him? And are we humble before him? Those are key. Have we allowed the Lord to prepare our hearts through the lessons we've learned in his word, in this life, right? And are we ready for the task at hand? Because can I just assure you, we're all building memorials, all of us, for the next generation. The whole point is, this is not about our memorial. Our life is supposed to be a memorial for him. Right? That's the purpose. So, as here we are, we were created to bring glory to God. That's the monument we leave, the glory of the Lord, a life that has a testimony of Christ. That's our calling. That's what God's doing in our life. So, our challenge has to be, as we look in our own selves, and we check the current state of our Christian lives, we have to ask ourselves, are we right, worthy of the call? Because we're all being called as we speak. Are we worthy? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for God giving us uh, your word. And thank you, Lord, for the truths that we learned in it. I do pray, Father, that you help us. Lord, have truly ears to hear that we might become the people of God that you have asked us to become, that you've commanded us to become. Lord, uh, there is so many challenges, so many distractions in this world. I do pray, Father, that you help us. Lord, even now as a body of believers, to come together, Lord, with a singleness of heart that our lives, Father, would just simply shine into the darkness, Lord, that we might make a difference, that Hope Baptist Church might be a unified body of people that give glory to God every day. Lord, help us to be worthy of the call. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, listen, if you're here today, you're online, and you say, you know, I don't know where I necessarily stand with God. Am I worthy of the call? Guess what? If you're not saved, if you don't know Christ... God is calling your heart even now. There is no doubt about that. And as he calls your heart, all you have to simply do is say, you know what? I know I'm not worthy of the call, but I want to respond. The Lord is worthy. We're not. He paid the price for the sins of the world. We're all sinners. The Bible says for all of sin and come short of the glory of God. That's a truth that we have to all recognize. And if you recognize it in your heart and you know you're lost, you know you have sin in your life, you know you need Christ. Understand, he's reaching out to you right now. The Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a promise. And as he calls out to you, all you have to do is respond. That's it. So as he calls to you, if you want to receive him as your Savior, by faith, there's not a magic prayer involved. There's no ceremony involved. It is nothing more than a broken heart calling out to God. And if your heart is broken for him, can I promise you that he is reaching out even now? So as he calls out to you, all you have to do is respond. I'm going to lead you in prayer. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, that's all it's going to take. 
but it's not the words of the prayer. Don't fool yourself. If you pray this prayer and you don't mean it, you're not sincere, don't waste your time. But if your heart right now is being drawn to God, all you have to do is respond. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to receive Christ as your Savior, I'm going to pray out loud. You feel free. If you want to pray out loud, you can. You want to pray in your mind. It does not matter. You're not talking to me. You're talking to God, and he can hear you. So repeat after me in your heart and mind if you want to receive Christ. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I have no doubt of who I am. But Lord, I trust and believe that you love me in spite of my sin, that you came to this world, that you died on a cross for my sins. I'm asking you right now to receive me as your child, for you to redeem me through your sacrifice. And Lord, for you to restore me unto God. Lord, come into my heart and save my soul. God, I trust you and I want to live for you. Lord, thank you for saving me. I will see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Head still.